Well, hello and welcome back, or welcome to those of you tuning in for the first time to Hope Revealed. I'm your host, Matt Crump, and I come to you every Tuesday with episodes of Hope, Help, and Health. You can expect guests that give us great information and insight into the world of business, health, and personal experience, all presented to you as a way to find a Hope Revealed. As a person myself who's been battling stage four cancer, I wanted to bring a platform to you that would specifically bring hope as well as help. That can be done through our special guests, information I've been able to locate, and information from emails and messages I receive from you, our followers. You can always email us here at community at godsgotthis.love for questions, comments, or content. On today's episode, we're going to dive deep into life and a hope-revealed moment through the life of a very special guest. Welcome to Hope Revealed. I am a, I do two things at the moment. I have um, a sales and marketing strategy consulting business where I mostly work with corporates in London. I teach them, you know, how to sell effectively without being you know, irritating and things like that. But I also operate uh, very closely with an area that's really close to my heart, which is with startups. I really enjoy working with people at that wonderful moment when they've got the idea and they need to get going and it's helping them commercialize and get that first sale under their belt and that wonderful feeling of, hey, hang on, this can actually work. It's a really lovely thing to do. And then the other side is my events business, Entrepreneur Business Live, uh, and we've been doing that just over a year now uh, in cities all over the world. And, And the idea is to bring together entrepreneurs in a room and teach them and help them with other um, with speakers uh, and then networking but also to help people further afield because we stream it live you see so people all over the world can watch the events and then on a third level um, the events also donate to a local charity so we've donated over four thousand dollars in the last year to charities all over the world helping you know children or people in education and things like that in in um, in local uh, areas so it's been a lovely climb in the last few years and that's my two kind of areas at the moment that's what I enjoy doing and, um, well Richard you know thanks a lot for being here at Hope Revealed and we're so excited to have you I mean obviously I mean, besides probably the Prince, you're probably the most popular guy in the UK. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, you've got the, you've got the look, the hair. I mean, I, have, I, got, I just need the big bushy beard, and I look like Prince. There Harry. you go. Right, and you've got a new. You've got the children. I mean, today was a big day for you, right? It, it was. Yeah, I had uh, my my both my daughters went uh, to school this week, but the notable part was that my youngest, a four year old, has started her first day today. So it's been a really wonderful family day. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I got up and had breakfast with them. We took them to school and about an hour and a half ago, I picked them up and they were full of beans. So we're going to have a nice weekend relaxing and uh, start the whole week of it next week. It's very quiet in the house for my wife and I. Hey, that's amazing, right? And then, do they even know that you're taking them to Disney World, or should I should I go ahead and post that later? I didn't know. I was I didn't know I was taking them to Disney oh, World. Oh, sorry, it's a surprise. Let's save that for later. <laughs> no, I, I think we should soon. Actually, uh, we're gonna have a chill weekend. Uh, their their grandparents have just got a dog for the week, so we're gonna go and see that. And a dog? Is it a puppy yeah, dog like, or? Well, that's like basically it's just gonna be looked after for for a week. Uh, it's like a Labrador, and and basically that is outsourced fun for them. So that will be that them looked after for a few hours. <laughs> that's great. Puppy dogs in school, I love it. Absolutely, that's fantastic. So, Richard, you've had a an incredible opportunity to be able to reach people, as you said, throughout the world. And I mean, you just didn't wake up and start there, obviously. 
Uh, it's no. taken a bit of time to get to that to that point. We've talked a bit about that prior to the show here today. Yeah. You know, the, how long have you been at this? I mean, did you start with maybe a, a marketing sales and services degree, or did you were you in sales and decided to do this on your own? I mean, well, how how did you yeah, do so, that? That's a good question. Uh, the uh, well, I mean, in a in a month and a day, I'm 39 years old, so um, I've been doing things for a while. So yeah, there's a little story. Um, so I, uh, you know, my, my, I was raised by a single mum. I have two sisters. My single mum is an absolute hero. She's phenomenal. She had a supply teacher job, so part-time, and she put three children through university. I'm really proud of her. But, you know, I was born in 1980, and so I was raised and rightly conditioned, I suppose, because that was the world we're in, as you remember too, no doubt, uh, Matt, uh, in a world where it was like you've got to do well at school, you know, you need yeah. to go to university, Richard, and a good job is London with a suit. Don't matter what it is, just be in London with a suit. So it's very much the vibe that we were pushed in that direction. So um, I've got two degrees, both in history, so nothing to do with business at all. <laughs> um, no, no, I had no, yeah, so it was nothing to do with it. And what happened was um, I was applying for funding for my PhD because I wanted to stay on. And I was getting, it was a lovely time. I was getting very romantic in my very early 20s about uh, being a lecturer. I've always had teaching in these, you know, being a lecturer and like an academic and I, and it was just my thing. And I was very, you know, like being the last guy in the library, all the lights are off and you're just still there working. Like, come on, Richard, let's go. We've got to clean up and get out. Yeah, exactly. But I love that kind of feeling. And, and, um, but I didn't get funding for the PhD. So I had to get a job. Because you were too busy in the library. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, yeah. But my, my, uh, my mum famously said, uh, towards the end of that degree, she's like, just so you know, you're not coming home. I was like, okay. She's like, so you need to get a job, don't you? And I was like, okay. And so I stepped to my sister's bed, uh, my sister's sofa for uh, two weeks. I was looking for a flat. <laughs> and the first interview I took, I, I, I got, and so I just took the job. And I was cold calling CEOs and selling them internet marketing uh, in 2002. So it was some time back. Wow. And um, the nice thing about that is that it's, evolved and I've been, I'm, I'm a big nerd Matt like you know I built my first computer when I was like 13 and, and, sold it. and I've always been into, I was programming operating systems at that age and things and so uh, I've grown up with the internet as a baby you know this this thing didn't work and do anything in, in the 90 in, in the 1990s but it's kind of matured as I have through my career so it's always been sales with the marketing edge as well and within like 18 months or so, I became a sales manager and, and, and then a, um, a ran an events uh, sales team. And then I went to headhunting, became a sales director. But then uh, about, it was like 2011-ish, um, 2012, I, I just had a very hard time emotionally. Uh, personally, I had a year where my daughter was born and almost died a lot. She was born without an esophagus. Without uh, so, an esophagus. Yeah, so she had to have surgery within wow. 24 hours. So I, and then, it, like, she came out of the operation. She was in induced uh, coma to keep her paralyzed and all this stuff. And, and um, you know, I didn't hold her for two weeks, so I didn't even touch the girl. It was very hard work. We literally lived and commuted to London from a hospital, so it was very hard. Uh, but at the same time, i just lost my grandmother two months before, and two and a half months after my mother passed away, and that had been two years of cancer. So it was a yeah. worst year, basically. Absolutely. And, you know, out of adversity, as we know, takes time. But so, like, since then, this has been my, my climbing has been my therapy. And, and 
the weird thing about the hard times like that is that during those hard times, you actually, you're not having a hard time as such. You are doing, because you have to do. You have to look after, you have to keep alive and things. And I was trying to keep the ceiling up because my, I have sisters as well and to look after them too. Um, but it's the following year, you know, when the shock wave comes back and hits you. And that was all just a bit too much. And I found it very difficult to, um, to continue working in the city. And I was doing, so, so at the time, you know, my remedy was, well, just throw more time at it. So work harder. And I was doing up to, at some weeks were like 80 hour weeks. I'm just like, I was staying in London and grabbing a hotel and, um, you know, it wasn't helping me. And I didn't, this isn't a rags to riches story. I was actually doing really well. I'm, you know, I'm a bright guy and I did really well in the city, but it wasn't, I just had this perspective at that point, Matt, and it was like, this can't be it. I can't, this can't be how it is. And I'm reintroducing myself to my daughter at the weekend. So I was like, what are you doing? You know? Mm, so yeah. um, that's the point where I thought, thought, well, it's time to pivot out. And the one thing I knew was that I was capable of selling stuff because that's all I'd been doing for years. So in many ways that my twenties was my training to get right. me, you know? And, um, since two, well, in 1999, just on a whim, I decided to take up taekwondo. And in, um, sure, yeah, just randomly, got you in, out of the library anyway. Yeah, exactly. You've got to do something at university, keep yourself fit. And my friend said, "Well, screw football. Let's let's try taekwondo. Something different." Because he was interested in, uh, you know, that kind of culture for the from Korean career world and things like that. So we just did that. And I'd been in London uh, only a little while. In two, I think it was like 2003 or 2004. And I started up at a club there and then I helped out coaching. So I'd gone, I'd been going through black belts and instructor courses and stuff. So when I quit my job, the first thing I did, even though I was doing a little bit of consulting on the side, uh, was I started two taekwondo schools. And I thought, this is it. I'm going to be a taekwondo instructor. Wow. Yeah, so it's really random. But, the, but what was interesting, again, there's that teaching thread. So it, so it was academia teaching and then there was management and, and leading people and, and helping them grow and make money and develop their careers. But then it was teaching children and, and grown-ups. And, and what I found was interesting, though, was that whilst I could do Taekwondo, I wasn't deeply passionate about it. I wasn't gravitating towards uh, YouTube videos about Taekwondo. I was gravitating way more towards how to build a business. And I was finding yeah. it so fascinating. So um, that was moved into being a hobby. And I only, I finished their school uh, a couple of years ago. Um, actually last year, I, I closed them down. Uh, but, but actually it became very much the consulting side and building businesses. Cause it's just, I just absolutely, I'm a student of it. And, and uh, so it's been a fun path. I've really, I don't, I don't think many people get to say it, but I really like who I am at the moment. And yeah, if people I, don't like you, you could chop, chop. <laughs> yeah, if they don't like me, they get, they get tough. But they what, get tough. I have practice now. But, you know, it's, it's, it's been a nice trajectory. And it's weird when you look, you must feel the same. When you look back, things kind of fit together and make sense. And you see why you moved from here to here. To, to an outsider, it might seem a bit random, my, my client, but actually there is a lot of a thread through it, if you see what I mean. No, absolutely. So uh, backing up to the time where you just kind of immerse yourself into, into the sales world, mm. uh, which was a world you weren't expecting to jump into per se. Yeah. Was there, um, I mean, you just didn't become a good sales guy. So, I mean, was there uh, a person in your life at that time that kind of mentored you along or helped you to understand that? Or, or did you 
Yeah, I well, well, I had I had two things. I had the echoes of my mother, who had. I'm so proud that she. One of the legacies she's given me is that it's unacceptable to quit. Often to the point where it's absurd and possibly you could have, but there's no. You know, a lot of people will go to jobs, and I know this because I've hired a lot of people in the past. A lot of people go to jobs and like it's not worked out. I'll just quit. Whereas it was like. The, the thought of not doing it well or quitting is like it's off the table, Richard. You have to force it through. And as a very shy, introverted guy, a job like that, cold calling people around the world and selling them something on the phone when you can't even see them is very difficult to do. So I had the combination of my mum going, essentially going, sorry, do it anyway. And, and a really actually crazy manager because the guy was so like um, slapdash he was really, he was a stoner. He was really kind of like not focused, like really not focused, but he was, he had a really great heart and he showed me how to sell. And the reason why I think I did well was because of work ethic. I mean, it was a car crash, Matt. I was not good, but the thing you couldn't do was get me off the phone. I was nonstop all the time. And it was like, I'm not allowed to fail. So I have to push through and I think the difference between me and a lot of other early starters at that was that I knew I had to win and I wanted to as well. I'm, I'm ambitious and all that. And so I would spend my commission instead of on stupid stuff. I'd spend it on a book on how to sell or a conference on how to sell and my own money on a weekend. I'd be going to things to help me improve myself. And I think little by little, I got better and, and I've just got, I've got good empathy for people. So rather than being irritating down the phone, I was listening and, and, I was good at it after a while, but that, that guy was a great mentor. And, um, he, uh, he, you know, he, he, he soon kind of was kind of wasn't really right for me after a while, but to kind of ease me in, he was, he was just really handy. Cause he, he, he was a good, he was a good human being. If you see what I mean. Yeah. Great timing then basically. It really was. Yeah. Well then, uh, at, at what point of time, that's a lot of work. You're a very busy guy. Um, yeah. I mean, between library and selling at Taekwondo, I mean, it's quite amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, little else. Yeah, what else, you know? So then, how did you come across uh, this wonderful woman that you've uh, been married to? So, so um, it's not a high school romance, but we go to school the same uh, together. And um, it's all serendipity, of course. So my, um, I'd moved house when I was six, I moved house again when I was 12 and I moved house to a place back to where my mother grew up because when she and my father split up, um, she, she took us back there because that's where her parents were. It was kind of in the bosom of her, of her family. And um, so I went to high school and I joined two years in. Everyone's made friends. I was a teenager. It's really difficult, especially for a shy guy. And, you know, over the years, I just was in some of her classes. And, and then later on, um, you know, we found when I was like in my late teens, we were, it was never the right time because she had a boyfriend or I had a girlfriend. And, um, but we always got on really well. And like, you know, you, there'd be a group of people together, but you'd speak to this one person all night long. And um, we went off as everyone did to the university or whatever. And we came back to London, stayed in touch. And about six months into me living in London, my, uh, I needed a new flat as did she, as did another friend. So we all moved in together and, and then within about six months or so, it just was like, this person is perfect. And uh, it's 10 years married in November this year. Oh, that's amazing. It really is. 
So she was into, uh, what was she into at the time? I mean, you're, you're developing yourself as a sales guy, right? So you're nonstop. Yeah, What's she, she uh, since like the age of 15, she was always going to be a lawyer. So work experience, everything, her degree, her conversion. And then she's been, she was a lawyer in London um, until uh, she had children. So today marks the day that both her children now are at school full time. So, um, but what's nice is that in the last 18 months to two years, she's moved from, well, I feel I should go back to being a lawyer. I don't want to, but I feel I should to, Hey, I'm really passionate about decorating and making cakes like high end, beautifully uh, decorated cakes. And so two years ago, we were like, let's build a new kitchen. Then let's go. And so she started, so she runs her own cake bakery and that's wonderful. Oh, that's fantastic. Who would ever thought that as a lawyer, she'd be baking cakes for somebody. But, you know, here's the thing, her attention to detail, and her patience, which are two of the things you need. If you're gonna sit there reading stacks of reports all day, are perfect for this. You know, she'll sit there, she was doing it today, working on this cake and meticulous work for hours that gives her uh, a wonderful kind of feeling of happiness. I'm like, oh, yeah. I could not sit there do it, but it's her thing. So she, it's a wonderful thing to have enjoyed doing. So we have our little businesses, um, you know, and at times we're in the house together, it's quite nice. That's amazing. So what do your kids do for work now? Are they off as a... <laughs> well, well, it's funny you say, it's funny you say, because both of them, I take upon myself to educate as much as I can. I enjoy it. And both of them, even my youngest, are acutely aware that they have very little, 10 times your age in pennies is their pocket money each week. So very little pocket money. If they want more money, they have learned that they can go to their bedrooms, open their cupboards, find toys that they don't play with and bring them to us and say, let's put that online and sell it. So they are arbitraging their own uh, presence and things. And in a, my, what, I feel this massive moral high ground that. So when we go to a, a toy <laughs> store, you've got all these children going, mom, I want this, dad, I want this. And, and I'm there showing off going, now, if you know if you want this, you don't have enough money, how much money do you need, right? What could you sell to get it? And so I'm like, I'm teaching them because I think it's fun, uh, but also they have this sense of like, like, where can I find more money? I'm not waiting for pocket money. Dad, can I clean the car? Like, can, and it's really exciting to see. So they are kind of working already. Oh, that's awesome. Wait, wait until they get really smart and start thinking, if I get dad to buy me the really expensive toy, I don't really want it, but oh, I, I know. need money for that online. I know, exactly. So they're, like, they're always looking at their Christmas and birthday presents thinking, what, what can I sell here? Have I got any duplicates I can cash in on? So, so it's a nice bit, of, nice bit of wit to see in them. No, that's fantastic. That's really good. Uh, well, I mean, I know obviously family is very important to you. It's been amazing to see. Uh, it's very methodical in your, in your life, your family, even your wife is very methodical uh, to the point where you all have come to uh, really your your call, whether you showed up to your call by accident or on purpose, um, mm. it's it's happened. And you'll be able to look back on your past and see all those all those things that have brought you to where you're at. I'm just happy of- that, that perversely, while these circumstances for me personally haven't been particularly favorable to move me in this direction to begin with, um, perversely I'm I'm pleased with the outcome now. And I think I think I would um I, I'm, I'm pleased I got out, uh, not got out, that's wrong, because I, I, I enjoyed the work in London, but I'm, I'm pleased I pivoted early rather than, you know, I didn't want to, I'm glad I'm not 72 and going, why didn't I, you know, it just, I, and I always, to be honest, I always had something in me going, 
it's always going to have to be you in the end working for yourself. And I always knew I, I kind of would. Um, I don't think I'll ever go back. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pleased that this happened reasonably young. Right, right. No, there's no doubt. And I'm, as a father myself and then as somebody who's de dealing with cancer the way I am in my life, I, I can't help but listen to you uh, through the eyes and the heart of a dad and know that your, your mom, uh, a lot of the ways that she would have been pushing you and driving you um, was obviously legacy and she yeah. wanted the best for you. Yeah. And especially if she knew that there was a chance she wasn't going to be around. Um, there's no doubt in my mind, if she were here, she'd be super, super proud of you. Um, I, so, yeah. I, I know she would be for sure. Uh, so that's kind of an important moment, especially for me, uh, battling what I am. And a lot of folks, you know, whatever their, their cancer may be, we all have some sort of a, of a trauma happening or has happened in our lives, right? I think you are. Everyone does. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, what was your, um, I guess it was not wanting to fail your mother maybe, or, or yourself, or was there a, a point there? I mean, the, the name of the show obviously called Hope Revealed. So we always find a place where, where mm. something, something, a person, a place, a, a situation, a circumstance reveals itself to you, which provides a hope. So, yeah. uh, you know, is, where was the hope for you in some of that rather than, than duty or performance or drive, right? Where was some of that hope for Richard in your life? Yeah, there's been a number of people, uh, like different bodies, people, if you like, who've kind of given me the drive and, uh, without question, at, at this like at the like soon after my mother passed, uh, not soon, like like nine or ten months after my mother passed, um, when I was having an exceptionally bad time, like my wife and and uh, and I went away for uh, a week or two. We were in Sherwood Forest actually, where Robin Hood's from and all that, and it was very nice oh, wow. and quiet, and kind of um, cabin in the middle of nowhere, like the pine trees, all very quiet. And we just did a lot of talking and I, you know, this is a stage where like I couldn't sleep and I would just be crying for no reason. The, the concept of going to an office was enough to make me like, you know, I couldn't decide what we could have for dinner. I was having a real kind of breakdown. It was a sustained thing. And um, she was the one who was like, you are more than capable of going to start something. So, and you have the means you should do that. And um, I think there's a little bit of fear on my side, which is crazy when I look back. But it was, it was for her to say, I trust that you can look after us. Remember, I, we just had a baby as well. It was like, I, I trust that mortgages, cars, my mouth, your mouth, and the child's mouth, and all the nappies and everything, I trust that you can handle that, starting something new. And, and, and to have someone to back me with that was really great. But I think soon after, because I had no faith in myself, I knew the ability was there, but I had to build the confidence back, you see. But the thing that helped drive me was just the, the reality that my mother had worked so hard to get the three of us to grow up, to be, I think we're good, you know, we're good people. And, and the three of us, my two sisters and I, um, we are always trying to push ourselves to do good things. And they're, they've both got wonderful children and they're happily married and they've done so well in the careers and so on. But, but my mum had pushed so hard to do that. She also worked very hard in the last years of her, of her life to get, make sure there was no bad legacy. Like there's no debt. She paid off her mortgage and so on. But she was months 
from retirement. So she was just turning over 60. So she passed away like 30 years too early. Wow. And that's one of the things that really affected me. And, you know, she met my daughter technically for like 10 minutes. They kind of crossed over. When my, when my daughter finally came out of hospital, it was about two weeks before my mother passed away. So they, they got to technically meet. And we were so pleased. It was almost like she was holding on for it. And she did the year before get to hold my niece because she was the only other child at the time on our level. And, um, you know, but I was like, she's not going to see that. And it's good in a way because it makes me think, you know, you how dare you not work hard and do your best when she doesn't get to experience this. Do you see what I mean? So it's, yeah. that's a very good driver. And the thing, what, what we're always interested in, in is not just external drivers, but the ones that come from within. But I think it's, it's those, you know, it's my, my wife and then it's been my, uh, my mother. And then, of course, in having children, you want to be, you want to be this absolutely amazing person. Sure, that's ego. But more importantly, I want my children to look, especially nowadays, we both know that when we're both gone, they can, we can be looked up online, which is kind of a crazy idea. People in 400 years, I don't know, 400 years, but in generations now can check it out, right? Um, and it's not about trying to show off and be an amazing person, but be, but be someone who can be valuable and useful. So what I'm really pleased about, and this isn't necessarily a slight on those who do other things. We kind of talked about someone earlier who, who, who's doing this, but I'm glad I'm doing something I feel is worthy rather than selling crap that I would, I'm not that proud of. And my grandchildren or my, certainly my children when they grow up, were like, really, that's what you did. I'm really glad I've, that I get messages from people going, this is helping me, you know, you're helping and this is making a difference. You're having an impact. And I think leaving that as a legacy to people rather than just being a cool dad, being someone who's actually making impact and helping people, it really matters. So it was, that's how, for example, Matt, it, it, it affected how the, the, the format of my events. It's like, it's almost immoral that I can raise a level of attention and engagement monetize it and then not give some of that to charities it's, it's bordering unethical i feel to not so that's why every single one of my events i've run gives except for the first one which we didn't know about uh, was um <laughs> because i was trying to work out what i was doing you know it gives back money to charities and i just think it doesn't mean i'm solving problems but i'm i'm doing something i'm trying to do something else that, that's bigger than me and but but you see all of that's fed in to bringing me round not to being the person i was but a new person that I'm really happy with. And now it sounds bad. It's not because I'm, it's not that I'm not trying to make my mum proud or, or my wife or, or my children. They are there, but I think it's a good thing that I am, I am now like the hub of who I want to make proud is myself. And I genuinely mean it. I'm like, I, I feel like I've, I've come to a good place where I'm acutely aware of the potential I, I have think about it i'm in the uk i'm not in a country that's in a you know having a difficult time i'm very fortunate i've got a roof in my, my head i've got money and all the things you know my health is here i've had a lot of operations and things in the past but i'm right now i'm i'm good you know i've got my, all my faculties so i need to use it because my mum had all that and then she lost it because mm -hmm. she passed away and, and i just think it's it's appalling to not apply myself when i'm aware of my potential and I also have the ability to deliver it. So I think um, I would feel let down and disappointed in myself if I didn't give it everything. So it's the hope is kind of coming from a multiple, you know, they, they propped me up, if you like. And that's, I think there's nothing wrong with being Richard-centric to start with, I suppose.
<laughs> no, that's fantastic. I mean, that's obviously it's come from a lot of years, a lot of circumstances and situations in your life that has brought you to the point where you're at. And not not everyone has has gone through the t- same types of things you've been through, obviously. But there's a lot of folks that like to be the end result of where Richard's at now in their lives. Um, maybe somebody's you know frustrated at their job right now and you know know that they are capable of more yeah uh feels like maybe even some folks nobody believes in them um but they still have this this drive this fire in their bones um or or folks that maybe had that fire and maybe they're listening today and said well yeah whatever it's all great i mean that's just for you and i'm glad that works for you but it's never going to happen for me um which i don't necessarily think is true either i don't either all right. So for those, for those couple of people that, that are listening right now, Richard, what would, you, what would you be able to say to them to help them in that point? Because they don't necessarily have all the things you've had in their life, but, yeah. but where can they go from what they have now to where, where, they, where they could be? I, I think that I am quite extreme and, I, and maybe it's because of the sales world and things like that, that I am um, good under pressure when you know, when my back's to the wall, I, I, I find that exhilarating rather than worrying. But I never, I wasn't like that for a time. And I used to be at times a bit of a pity party. And at times I would look for excuses and things like that. And at times it would be things happening to me rather than because of me. And one thing, this is going to sound brutal rather than, um, rather than being caring, I want to be really real here. I think that if you feel that there's something better for you out there, the truth is your best self at your best can achieve it. And possibly not even your pinnacle of yourself is able to achieve that thing. And I feel that safety nets and comfort zone are, are um, a great way of limiting your ability to hit your potential or at least to achieve a step out of a comfort zone. And there's a lot of talk about comfort zones and there's a lot of kind of, oh, you've just got to do it. That's easier said than done. And that's not really much of a solution. It's just rhetoric. I think what I have done is some things that other people would say are irresponsible, but I knew that necessity would cause me to have to function effectively. So for me, for instance, I get it. Like I have children and so if I don't make money, they're screwed. There is, <laughs> yeah, like who pays the mortgage? Who looks after pay? Like there's all these bills and things. Where does that money come from? It has to happen. When you look in your children's eyes and you're like, I'm the reason, I have to be the reason why. I want to have all these experiences in Disney World and stuff like that. I'm not looking forward to that bill, but still. <laughs> but the point is it all has to come from somewhere. And I think... Um, what, what, I, what I didn't, what I would, I suppose the advice to answer your question, what I would say is you need to go full tilt on stuff because in our world, in our world, and I would, I'm pretty much guessing, but I'm probably right that your demographic is, is the type where if, if everything went wrong, there are still safety nets. There's still places you can go, people you can speak to, beds you can sleep on. There may not be your own, but there are ways around it. And what I, where I'm driving at is the mistake of trying, trying to move to an area you want to go in a piecemeal way means you often keep more than one foot back in the old world. 
by stopping my nine to five completely, I created a situation where I had to perform in my new thing. And what happens when you have necessity is you don't muck about with the fluff, you focus on the stuff that matters. You don't focus, when you know it's two weeks until your rent is due or whatever, you don't focus on polishing your website. You don't focus <laughs> on, no, but you don't, you don't, you don't like, oh, I'm gonna research TikTok today. <laughs> Your pipeline gets, my pipeline's world-class because it's like, if it's not going to be a deal, it cannot feature because who I'm reporting to me. And I think what I did at the start was ugly, but it was all driving in, like, where's the first customer coming from? Like, what? let's survive first. And, you know, if the world, if, if all civilization disappeared and you were the only person left on the world, no houses, nothing, the first thing you're seeking is food and shelter and water. You're not gonna, you know, try and find some nice clothes or something. And it's the same thing here. Putting yourself in positions where you create hunger is important. And actually, the more you climb, the more that is a challenge. And I make a point of trying to create a situation where I almost feel broke or feel hungry as much as I can. So any in, I, I don't pay myself that much, and I, I don't kind of. I don't try and do things to give myself too much comfort zone because I always want to have that taste of like, I need to, I need to get out there and do it. And that bite is the thing that, um, that is important. Keeps us, keeps our drive and keeps our focus. And with good perspective, like how dare I not take advantage of the fact I have a very, very uh, lucky existence being in a first world country like this. Right. But I think it's, it's, it is everything at the start to put yourself don't just look at the fire, go and stand in it and run through walls and the hard stuff. And, you know, like I, I had at one point um, uh, an, a big consulting job, but it was deeply unstimulating and took a lot of my time, but paid quite well. And I killed it because it was, it was like I was losing my edge and I lost a load of income as a result, but it put me in a place that was like, right, now I need to go and find something else, something that's going to stimulate me. But do you see what I mean? Like, like go create some hunger and that gets you, you know, it gets your fire going. And, and rather, than, rather than taking it easy, for me, and everyone's a bit different, but for me, I was only going to be a starter when the necessity hit. Otherwise, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to be as complacent as the next guy. That's the thing. Mm. That's so good, brother. I appreciate all that information. I think the one thing I'm thinking about through that is, is your drive. You're, uh, you're definitely not an introvert uh, anymore. At least uh, you're, you're a, a closet introvert at most. But um, how did you go uh, briefly from that place when you were such, you mentioned it several times, that you were a shy guy, which obviously people would think like, really? Today? I know, they all say that. I really right, right. So, but I mean, what was the... How did you go from shy to, to Richard? Um, it was two kind of defining moments. One was, um, so, so my, my first degree was a three year bachelor's, the second year degree was a, was, the second degree was a, a master's. And, and I'd flunked my, what we call our A-levels to get into my first university. And that, um, the, the problem I had was, was that I was like nervous and shy and like I, I couldn't, I didn't believe in myself and things like that. And I used the university and the fresh start to try and put myself out there a bit and it worked quite well. But the second degree was one where I was like, no one knows me, this is a new me, come on. And I remember the first day them saying, 
we need at the Senate, which is like their board of directors for the university, we need a student representative. And I, for some reason, put my hand up and I'm like, what am I doing? And I just did. And it was a really good thing to put myself again in the fire, really. And then the other, the other thing was London. Just like, just be like, there's a lot of people with all love and respect to them who didn't make it out of, of the village where we grew up and they're still there now. And, and I think that whilst they're probably very happy, there's a whole world out there. And going to London, especially in the role I was in, on a basic wage where I could just about pay the rent only, no food, just the rent, I had to perform. And it put me in a space where I stayed shy and introverted, but on the phone, I hadn't, it wasn't about being a shark, but I had to speak to people. And I had to speak to people that if I was beating about the bush, they were like, I'm not interested because I'm too busy because I'm a senior guy. Um, so I had to learn to just be a bit more assertive. And that's what groomed me, I think. And I became, I feel, a fairly good communicator as a result because it was my world. And, and it was, again, that, can you see it's that necessity I had to perform for my mother, I had, because that was the voice in my head, right. I had to perform for the money because I had a tiny basic wage. And, and as a result, it was like, sorry, Richard, you're going to have to do it. So it was a crafted thing as opposed to DNA, the extrovert. And um, deep down in my core, there's part of me that's a bit of a homebody, likes just, I'm, I'm fine with my own company, you know, I quite like just to chill. But at the same time, um, I... I I, I like putting myself in those kind of positions where I know I can grow. That's why I run events and I will go and speak at them in front of people. There's one in Milan next month. There's 3,000 people I'm going to be speaking to. And it's like, but this is good for you. So there's part of me screaming, don't do it. But then another part of me is like, this is good for you, so you have to. And so there's, there's this weird kind of moments that have, have kind of pushed me a little bit further. But deep down, I'm still kind of a guy who likes, likes just to chill on my own. Yeah, that's that whole closet introvert guy that's still there. Yeah, exactly. But you've had to really come into who you are now, which is pretty pretty amazing guy. I'm really, really you know that you have to sometimes, like you said earlier, sometimes you have to perform. Sometimes you have to turn it on, and and putting yourself in a position where that is a, a regular part of your day is a way to practice it. I suppose. No, no, absolutely. So, how do folks get a hold of you? I mean, uh, I know you're you and I have met through LinkedIn and. Mm -hmm. Um, I honestly didn't know who Richard Moore was before I found who you were on LinkedIn just by chance. And, uh, I know there's a lot of folks out there like that. I mean, there's a lot of folks who don't know who I am from Adam, um, Adam who, I don't know, but anyway, from, from this kind <laughs> of so, uh, you know, how do people get a hold of you? What exactly is it that they can do by getting a hold of you? Do you have a website, a company, a business? Is there, uh, do you just do events and clinics or I mean, how do folks yeah, find a good question. So, I mean, if anyone's in town and wants to go to my events, of course they can do that. I don't know when this will air, but in two weeks I'm in Barcelona for my next event and Miami at the end of the month uh, for, for one there. But uh, if they go to therichardmore.com, uh, M-O-O-R-E, uh, that's the kind of the website with all the hub. So, so you've got all of the channels, YouTube and Instagram and everything there. It's the easy place to start. Or yeah, LinkedIn, I'm very active there. So it's slash in slash Richard James Moore. Um, and on, on the site, you know, I have courses on my basics of LinkedIn, basics of sales and monetize you, which is a course on how to take stuff you already know and monetize it using, you know, a lot of techniques I, I use myself. Uh, but I also do consulting. So if someone wants a hand or a chat or something, then they can do that again through the site nice and easy. But hopefully I'll meet some more people, great people like you on LinkedIn. 
Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, if they have cool stellar beards like this. and Only if they have beards, not interested otherwise. That's right. <laughs> There's only space for one clean-shaven guy. No doubt. Well, I mean, like I said, you're, you're, the, you're the look of, uh, of the UK, so that's what we got. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, Richard, I surely appreciate uh, you spending time with us today on Hope Revealed. You, you revealed hope in, in many, many different ways through the experiences you've had in your life. What an incredible life you've had so far. And uh, you're 39, right? About to be 40 soon. No, other way around, almost. So 40 next year, 39 next month. Yeah, 39 next month. So, so I'm in my mid-30s still, Matt. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's got plenty of time. <laughs> plenty of time. So you really do have plenty of time. And I you've do. got a couple of great young kids uh, to enjoy and a lot of life ahead of you. And many trips to Disney World and lots of sales on eBay. So that's going to be fantastic. Absolutely. Thank <laughs> you so much. It's been a real pleasure, man. I'm, I'm really glad we did this. Yes, thank you, Richard. Thank you.